Welcome to Guided by Third Wheel, the podcast. My name is Amber Ireland, and I'm here with my co-host, Jill Bucaro. Let's get started. So welcome back, everybody, to our second official podcast. Um, Hope you listened to the first one. If not, you might want to go back and check it out. It talks a little bit about who Amber and I are, a little bit about our business, Third Wheel Consulting, and what kind of brought us to where we are today and and some of the work that we've been doing together. Yeah, and today we're going to finish that up because we only made it through a part one of our podcast because we kind of got on a roll. So um, hopefully we can finish up kind of how we got from that midpoint that we talked about in the first podcast up until where we are today. Yeah. So we left it, well, we left with all sorts of ideas and tangents and things, but I guess that's what you're supposed to do on a podcast. But yeah, we kind of left it where, I think we left it like with our why, like this is why we started Third Wheel. Here's some of the things that we've been doing, but really a lot has transpired um, since we first started the business. And what's been kind of cool is as our business has grown and as the work that we've done have grown, has grown, we've kind of changed and grown as well, right? And I feel like that's really mirrored there. So I don't know if it makes sense, Amber, to talk a little bit about what we're doing now. Do we want to take people like on a journey from like 2018 to now for each of us? What do you think makes the most sense? Yeah, let's go on a journey. I I love, okay, I love a journey. You want to go first? Sure, (laughs) sure, I can go first. So I think we left off, um, Jill and I were working together um, at daybreak, and um, actually I was there longer than Jill was, so she'll tell you how she ended up leaving there. Um, I was there and um, was, and you know, we talked the last time about some tower moments, right? So I did, I had some tower moments while I was there at daybreak um, in my personal life and in my professional life. And through those tower moments, had a lot of growth and kind of, I don't know, like more self-reliance because some things happened that I thought like I was never, if you would have said to me, this is going to happen to you, I'd have been like, okay, well then that is the moment that I'm going to crumble and never be okay again, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, but, you know, I made it through. And so now, you know, I've learned a lot of things about myself and about what I'm capable of. And just kind of releasing a lot of fear um, about the future or um, the unknown, I guess. I I trust in that a lot more because I know that, you know, as things change, I know that I can, uh, I can move with the change, but also like it's always better on the other side. Yes. And I think that's the hard thing. People don't realize it's better on the other side, mm-hmm. right? Because I think so many of us are paralyzed by that fear where it's like, oh, if this happens, surely I will never be okay. Mm-hmm. But those of us, which I think those of us, every human has done this, where you've had the thing that you thought you couldn't handle happen. Mm-hmm. And then you do get to the other side. And I do think you think every single time, like, holy shit, it's so much better over here. Absolutely. Let me not negate the pain, right, right. of the thing. But now that I have, have made it through, now that I've cleared it, like, holy crap, it's better. Uh-huh. So what were some of those tower moments that you had well, between 2018 and phew. 2023? Um, tower moments that I had. So I got divorced. Um, and that was a huge tower moment because it was very unexpected to me. Um, and 
I really was like, well, what am I going to do? You know, because I was, I went from two incomes in a household to one. I mean, not to mention like, you know, going from being coupled to being alone and those types of things. But I do feel like that I handled pretty well from jump um, and really kind of was able to be like, okay, I'm, I'm all right there. Um, But all of the other pieces, like how am I going to navigate you know, paying the bills and being the only person there with my kids and that kind of stuff. And that was really hard. It was a really hard transition. Um, But, you know, now I don't worry about that anymore. You know, I don't worry that like, you know, if if money goes, um, you know, and that was a huge story for me in my life is just like, you know, am I going to have enough money? Can I rely on myself to take care of myself financially? Because, Really up until that point, and I was, what, 39 years old at that point, I had never been solely financially responsible for myself. Never in my whole life. I went from my parents to from, and then to one husband, and then to my parents, and then to another husband. And so this was the first time I ever was like, I've got a house. Like, I mean, I have to, like, pay the bills, you know? This mortgage Um, needs to get paid, yeah. Right, like, we can't just pack up and move back in with my mom, you know? Like, this, I mean, we could have. She would have let us, but, like, you know, that's not what I did. And, um, you know, and so that was a huge lesson for me. Um, And then, gosh, how many years was it later after that? Like, two, three I don't know, a few years later, still at daybreak, um, and my position was eliminated. In one day? In one day. Like you went to work? Yes, went to work and thought I had a job, and, (laughs) you know, by about 3 p.m., I did not have a job anymore. And and that was huge, too, because I, you know, then I'm like... (laughs) shit, like I'll never be able to walk into some place and make that much money. And uh, those financial stories came back, you know, where it was like, how am I going to take care of myself? Um, And I found a job. Like I just, you know, I like sat down and I was like, okay, let me reach out to my people, right? And actually Jill helped me Mm -hmm. connect with somebody at 115 where I am now. Um, And I think... I had like an interview within a week. You called me, and and we'll talk about my story at daybreak. But but Amber and I both kind of I don't want to say like in a blaze of glory, but we both left daybreak in dramatic fashion. Yes. I'll say yes. So you went to work that day, thought you had a job. By about two thirty, three o'clock, you did not have a job anymore, mm-hmm. and you called me. I think one because we're close, and two because you knew that I knew how it felt. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to kind of go out like that. And so you called me and, and, you know, the universal lines and I had just talked to somebody at one fifteen. like it might've honestly been that week or certainly mm-hmm. in the last couple of weeks that was like, Hey Jill, um, are you interested or do you know anybody who's interested in filling this? I think it was like an operations kind of yep. management director role. And I wasn't in a place and I was like, man, I don't really know anybody that's looking to leave because you weren't looking to leave Daybreak. Nope. Um, you nope. were not looking. Mm-mm. And I was like, no, but I'll <laughs> let you know. And you called me that day that you, I mean, you called me the moments after you left and then I texted that woman that had reached out to me. And I think you had an interview, like, we talked about this in the last one. Like, yeah. Amber just, like, speaks it into the universe, and she yeah. has an interview 48 hours later. Right. I don't even think it was a week. I don't even no. think you were out of work for a week it or two. I think it took me about, I think within 10 or 12 days, 
after that, I had an offer mm-hmm. is what it was yeah. from them. I did several interviews. Um, and again, walking into a role that I had never done, just like I did at Daybreak, walking, you know, Daybreak, social services, yes, but actually that role had never done. This was an operations manager of an entire campus. Like right. I had done, been the director of case management, right? Um, but I had some experience, you know, managing property and things like that from um, the group home at Children's Services and whatnot. And I was super grateful that they um, that they hired me and I got in with, you know, being able to, you know, financially take care of myself from that job. And then, um, and I got to take a month off of work. Like Did they, oh, yes, nice. because they wanted me to start. And I was like, eh, why don't I wait a few more weeks? Because I had the ability to do it. And I was like, when am, when else ever am I going to be able to take a month off? So I took the entire month of May off, which is my birthday month, which was so wonderful. I still look back at that. I'm like, well, shoot, like I didn't want a month off again. But um, <laughs> can somebody else eliminate my position? Right, no kidding. <laughs> let's, no, let's not. Um, <laughs> just kidding. We're not just kidding. That. We're not speaking that out. To the um, but if it happened, I would be okay, you know, and I know that. But yeah, so I went to 115 and, you know, wasn't looking for that. But my God, it like it was it was like I didn't realize that it that I wanted something different until I had it. And mm-hmm. I'm like, this is so good. You know, and in that role was very different, but I really liked it. And um, yeah, so, and I'm still at 115 now. I have changed um, roles there. I now am back to supervising case managers there out of the operations manager position. Um, but really, you know, has been a lot of like learning and professional growth that I don't think I would have gotten at daybreak. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, just by nature of, you know, what we were doing at day, you know, the populations we were serving and that kind of stuff. Like I had never worked with anybody. I mean, I worked with people with substance use disorder, but not like everyone that we worked with had a substance use. I had not worked in that field, I guess. And a lot of learning there. So I, you know, I'm really grateful for that experience. Um, And then also, you know, those transition times and the change in those jobs really gave me, um, I don't know, like lower my level of stress. I was able to work a lot more on third wheel stuff, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and kind of developing trainings and going out and doing those and doing more consulting. And, um, And I had an organization that was kind of like, we like the fact that you have your own business. Yeah, yeah, like and, saw the value in that. Right, mm-hmm. right. And so that was really eye-opening to me that, like, I don't have to hide my business while I'm working for somebody else. Like, those two things can happen at the same time without feeling any, like, guilt or shame. Not that I'm, you know, doing one on the other's time, but, like, that that was a problem at my previous employer that, you know, that I had my own business. So, yeah. Well, and I think at Daybreak, you know, and and again, like, I think this is something that, you know, we'll talk about and that people recognize is there's a lot of agencies that struggle with workplace culture. Mm-hmm. And if you're working in the social work field or the nonprofit field, I feel like 
some of those issues are worse now than they've ever been. I feel like so many of the conversations I have with people are, it's not like I don't like the, it, people like the work that they're doing. They don't like the context in which they're doing it or the, the culture that, that they have at their work. And so I think at Daybreak, like there really was kind of this thing that was like, you know, you never wanted to like shine too bright or be too good because people would always come at you for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was the same as you. I felt like we did, we were real low key about our business while we worked there. We never wanted to talk about it too much. We Mm -hmm. never wanted to seem too successful. And I think it's because people who had leadership positions, maybe, you know, at the same level as us or higher than us felt really threatened by that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I think we're nasty because of it. Mm -hmm. And so I agree. I saw that because I left Daybreak before you did, and I moved to a place, you know, very similar to 115, where they're like, oh my gosh, how cool that you do this training and consulting work. Like, that's so interesting. That's so great. And I think recognize, wow, this adds value, like, to our brand and our organization as well. Um, You know, and I had to watch you kind of for another 18 months, like, grapple with almost that, like, I don't want to call it bullshit, but I'll just call it bullshit because that's what mm-hmm. it was right. at daybreak. So it was really cool to watch you make that transition, to watch you thrive in a totally mm-hmm. different role. And then, yeah, to be like, wow, our business can really take off. And that's yeah. when it really took off, right. honestly, right. when we both moved into those new roles. Um, and I think we had the space and the energy and the mental energy mm-hmm. to put towards that. And I also think, you know, we, we talk about, you know, this transition where, you know, from daybreak to one fifteen for me. Um, but I, I do appreciate the time that I was there. I do appreciate oh, yeah. the time that I was at daybreak. I feel like I, I did learn a lot there um, about a lot of different things that I didn't. I mean, you know, fee for service billing, um, managing teams where you know I'm managing supervisors instead of direct care. Um, just kind of how you know an organization can kind of work together, mm-hmm. um, and also. During that time, I met a lot of people within the organization that I was, that I wouldn't, you know, had I not been there, I wouldn't have met them, right? And there was a lot of connection there. And that led to a lot of spiritual growth that I had. And had I not stayed there during that time, I wouldn't have had that. Right. Um, And I think that really set me up in a place where when that position was eliminated, I was able to be like, okay, Amber, you've got this. And to be able to trust myself to do it. Um, and I don't I don't think had that happened even like three years before that, I would have no I would have still been okay about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think that, you know, there are so many things I love about Daybreak. I was there for like seven or eight years and mm-hmm. um I still tell people I love the work that I do now and I'll talk about it in a sec what I do now but when I think about like my favorite job like the job where I was just like excited to go do the work Mm -hmm. I mean it was the daybreak outreach drop-in center Mm -hmm. for sure I mean that was just that was like the first love of my life like Mm -hmm. truly I I love that work and you know hopefully one day I can you know make a bunch of money and retire early and go like chill in a drop-in center again because Mm -hmm. I really really loved doing that work and um and yeah and I guess I can share a little bit just about my journey at daybreak so I loved my job there I think I mentioned in the last one I had a lot of different jobs I did a lot of direct service work I did clinical work I did case management I started and kind of ran that drop-in center that I was just talking about which was where a place it was a place where um 
young adults who are experiencing homelessness, maybe they were living on the streets, maybe they were couch hopping, like staying in, you know, apartments or trap houses or places that weren't that safe. Maybe they were staying at the adult shelters. Um, They could come in during the day, they could eat, they could shower, they could nap, they could have a safe place to be. And, And while they were there, we worked on trying to stabilize their situation, right? Whether it was housing them, getting them jobs, Um, helping them get their benefits established, you know, engaging in like some clinical and therapeutic work to help them stabilize, you know, mentally and emotionally. And that's what I did. You know, I I kind of like deviated from that a little bit um, throughout my time there, but that's what I did most of the time and then moved up into some different types of team lead and then kind of like management roles there. And um, yeah, so so when I left Daybreak, I too was not anticipating leaving Daybreak. I had struggled, I think, for the last year or so that I was there. I was really struggling with, um, I don't know, some of the maybe like decisions that were being made at the top around like client care. You know, when, when you run a facility, and I, you know, I've never been the CEO of any agency where there's a whole building involved, right? You do have to think about safety, but. I guess what I saw is that our population was changing and just because their problems were more severe, just because they were IV drug users, just because they were actively psychotic, you know, I understood that perhaps there could be some safety concerns associated with those behaviors. Uh-huh. But to me, that was not a reason to keep these individuals out of our building. That was not a reason to limit the services we provided to them. And I think just ideologically, me and um, our our CEO, our upper level um, management, we did not see eye to eye on that. And I felt like that whole last year um, was just characterized by me fighting that just in every meeting and in every interaction. You know, I would go have a meeting and they would give me an answer I didn't want about banning a client or not accepting a client into the program. And then poor Amber, I would have to like come in Amber's office and and complain to her, bitch to her, process with her because I just, I was ethic, I think I was really ethically struggling with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's easy for people to say, no, they can't come here, you know, look at the danger they pose when they weren't the ones interacting with those individuals every day. And me and my team, really my team more than me at that point, they were the ones interacting with those individuals. And I think I felt so caught in the middle um, of that. And, and I just really, really was struggling. And it seemed like every day was a new fight. And, um, you know, and I think I tossed around the idea, but it's like, where would I go, right? What would I right. do? I think that fear you're talking about, you know, I love the work that I do. And, and I have a pretty, you know, I'm getting paid a decent amount of money back mm-hmm. then. I, you know, I've only been in the game six or seven years and I have a pretty high position like you know would I be able to get that somewhere else and um so anyways so so I'm fighting 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 the good fight I guess in my eyes and I was told that um there was some restructuring that was going on that all and for a long time I had been doing the role of a director but they wouldn't call me a director um but they were doing some restructuring and I was told that I was going to have a new boss and then I was going to get that title change and a little bit more money to basically keep doing the same exact job. It was literally to keep doing the Mm -hmm. same job I was doing, but I was going to get the title that reflected the work that I was doing and I was going to get a raise. And so I'm like, you know what, Jill, like you're getting a good amount of money. You're getting recognized for the work that you've been doing. Like it's time to stick it out. So I went to that meeting where I thought I was getting my title bump and I thought I was getting more money and I actually got demoted. Um, and it was because of, I think, a series of, of big fights, probably kind of 
fights that were a bit more public than they should have been. Um, but they were basically like, we don't, we don't trust the work that you're doing. Like, you know, it's the same thing. We don't see eye to eye on mm-hmm. how we should be doing this work. And um, the things, the programs that you've built, the work that you've been doing, essentially we're snatching it from you. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of my tower moment. Um, I had just earlier that year, I had had a breakup um, with somebody who I just felt like we were super compatible. Our, our lives together were really, really easy. You know, it just seemed like I was almost kind of coasting, right? And And that fell apart pretty quickly. And that was really hard. But I was like, you know what? Like, my career is going exactly the direction I always thought it would. I'm getting ready to get this big promotion. Like, things are okay. And then that got snatched from me, Mm -hmm. too. Dude, and I – how many days in a row did I cry? A A million. (laughs) A lot. A lot. Yeah. A lot of days in a row. But – and that was my tower. I mean, that was – everything just fell Mm -hmm. down around me. Um, But like you, I I had been – my dream always, when I became a social worker, I was like, when I really make it, like someday I want to be a social worker in a public defender's office. Because I used to want to be a public defender, but oh. um, I partied too hard and didn't study for the LSAT, so then I couldn't go to law school and become a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> if we're being totally honest, because I did think about it, because you're supposed to study for the LSAT. It must be your junior year you're supposed to study for the LSAT because then I think you take it between your junior and senior year. So I remember thinking my junior year, like, this would be the year that I would study. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to do it. So, <laughs> but, then I, but then I realized I wanted to be a social worker at some point. I'm like, dude, a social worker in a public defender's office, like, that's the dream. And um, so I had started. I was doing a little internship kind of through daybreak, but I was helping out our, our local public defender's office, um, supervising some master's level students for them so they could get a little bit of social work in their office. And um, and yeah, so I, so I get demoted. I had that relationship and I sat down and I was like, I don't want to do anything other than what I'm doing. I don't want to go be a supervisor at a community mental health agency. Like I don't want to work for one of the other homeless providers. Like I don't want to work in substance use. Like I want to do this, right? And then I was like, well, I would maybe want to work at the public defender's office. So I did. I called my now boss and I'm like, hello, I am all but jobless. Um, will you take pity on me? And we had ta- she had offered me, I think the year before, like, what if you came over here and you were a social worker, you know, in our office. But what they wanted to pay me then just didn't match what I was making at Daybreak. And I gave her a number that I could make work. And, and she actually gave me a little bit more than that. And I landed at the public defender's office. And so that's how I got, and that was four years ago almost, which Mm -hmm. is crazy. Um, And since then I got to, I got to go back and do direct service, which I think is my, you know, my true love and the work that I do. And then now I, we built that whole social work program. So now we have a team of seven social workers and then another nine, we call them client engagement specialists that do a lot of frontline interactions and work with our clients and either get them referred to social work or, um, you know, do some quick referrals and things like that. So that's what I do now. And that was my big tower moment. Yeah. And so I I got a question for you because I've been able to kind of reflect on some things that have happened, not even just these things, like even like long ago tower moments, right? And, um, and things that happened that like just pissed me off. And like, you know, I was like holding grudges, like, Ooh, I hate you so much. You were so mean to me, blah, blah, blah. And so now, and you know, yes, now, now I can look back at those and I am so grateful for 
even like the ugliness, even the meanness, even the pivot, you know, the times where I was like, why did you have to do that to me? Like that was so mean Mm -hmm. or, you know, that hurt me so bad. I'm just so damn grateful because I know that I would have never walked away on my own. And so, you know, now in my life, of course, I'm going to have more tower moments. We're all going to have more tower moments. Sure, sure. But I do feel like there are times where I can look at things and say like, oh, this feels like maybe I need to pivot. It doesn't feel as good to me anymore as it used to. And I get to make the choice to make the pivot and not wait for that to happen, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm so grateful for all those other times that it happened because it's like taught me how to, how to look at things in a different way. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And I think... You know, I say all the time, like, you know, the the CEO that I, I spent my whole life being mad at, right, for two mm-hmm. years, I always say, like, I, I should write her a thank you note. Mm-hmm. Like, thank you for demoting me um, because you took me out of what I think was, like, just, like, a really unhealthy relationship. Like, mm-hmm. I always say breaking up with Daybreak was the hardest breakup of my life. And I've had, if you know me, you know I've had a million trillion breakups, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and some of them have been really hard. Um, but Daybreak was the hardest one. But I think because my relationship with the work and the organization was getting so toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was partly because of them, and it was a lot because of me, right? Mm-hmm. And my inability to draw boundaries, my inability to, you know, be like, nope, I'm, I am going to die on this hill. I remember one time my boyfriend at the time, poor man, had to listen to me complain about daybreak every damn day of his life. But I was talking about, you know, something that they did. And he said to me, he's like, Jill, is this the hill you're going to die on? Mm -hmm. And I was kind of pissed at him at first because I'm like, you know, what? don't like trivialize this. Right. Right. But I think he was like, Jill, like at some point, like you got to shit or get off the pot. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you got nobody. Nobody cares that you're screaming into the void if you're still showing up, you know, and engaging in that unhealthy relationship. Anyways, I say all that to say, yes, I I should write that CEO a thank you card because one, she booted me out of a toxic relationship, right? With the work that I was doing. And two, I mean, my career blew up after mm-hmm. I left. You know, some of the 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 work that I get to do on a systemic level and a macro level, some of just like the public recognition I've got, some of the really cool creative projects that I've gotten to start or be a part of, those things would have never happened at Daybreak. Right. Even had I gotten that director role, even if I would have moved up, right? Mm-hmm. And into some kind of like C-suite level manager management mm-hmm. at daybreak, I would have never, um, my career would not have gone in the direction I think that I ultimately wanted it to and that it did now. So I'm grateful. I'm mm-hmm. so, so grateful for that. And I wonder too, you, to your point, what I hope that I am getting better at. And I was thinking about this uh, when we were preparing for this podcast is I have been able in the last year or so, I think, to see the writing on the wall in a couple situations mm-hmm. and to be like, th- I I think if I were to play this story to the end, it would end in a fiery tower. Right. But let me go ahead and deviate now. Let me mm-hmm. leave now. But I think when you do do that, um, it has its own kind of fallout, right? Right. Because you look like somebody who gives up easily. Mm -hmm. You look like somebody who's selfish. You look like somebody, 
you know, who is just like being really almost like self-serving in a way. And maybe you are, but I think, you know, it made sense to everybody why I left Daybreak when I did, right? Mm-hmm. Because like I got booted, I got yanked from my programs that day. I jo- I got moved up to this weird like abandoned office off in the corner. <laughs> I mean, it was dramatic as hell, right? So everybody's like, of course Jill is leaving. Right. But had I saw the writing on the wall and left, you know, four months before that, would have been like, Jill is abandoning all these programs she built, right? All of these people rely on her for supervision, Mm -hmm. right? All these people that were working towards their independent licensure, all these interns that were here because I brought them there. Like, Mm -hmm. it would have looked like I was abandoning had I not stayed till the fiery end. So it's been interesting now. And never Mm -hmm. until this year have I been brave enough to leave something before the fiery end, if we're just being honest. But I do think in the two situations that I'm thinking of that I did leave before the fiery end, I think people almost see that as a weakness or hold some resentment. Mm-hmm. Well, you that. become somebody else's tower moment sometimes. When, oh, you, when you choose shit. to leave, sometimes you become somebody else's tower moment. And sometimes that's what we all need, right? Right. You know, so sometimes you are that for other people and sometimes they are that for you. And, yeah. it, and that's just how Ooh. it has to play out. Um, you know, and, and the hope would be, right, that they eventually have some gratitude for that too. Like I wasn't, I would have stuck around. We would have, you know, you know, things would have gotten really, really bad. Right. Right. Um, but we're all here to teach each other different things, right? We've all got our own karma with, with whatever relationship we're in, whether that's work or personal or friendships or business partnerships. Like we just have our own stuff that we're working through and we're teaching one another all the time. So, you know, as we're learning, Sometimes we become that for other people because we decide to walk away. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I hope that, and I I mentioned this earlier, I just feel like this is this kind of like work toxicity relationship. Should I stay or should I go? I just, um, doing some of the work that I do and, and one thing that I do in addition to my work at the public defender's office and in addition to the consulting that Amber and I do together is I do a lot of, um, I do social work supervision. So I do, I run these groups for people that are working on getting their independent licensure. But all that really means is there are like 12 master's level social workers that I talk to every week for two hours, right? Mm-hmm. In these smaller group settings. And so you really get to know people. And these last couple years, this is such a common theme that I'm seeing with people. Like, Mm -hmm. should I stay or should I go? I don't agree with what's going on at my job, but I love the work that I do, right? right? And we are working, those of us in the social work field, in in these systems that truly since COVID are crumbling. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't want to say, I can be a dramatic person, but I don't think I'm being dramatic when I say that. And, And being trying to make, you know, sense and trying to manage the crumble is really hard. And I mean, these are the conversations I have every single week. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe that's something we should, you know, really hammer down in other episodes is like, should I stay or should I go? Whether it's work, whether it's a relationship, whether it's needing Mm -hmm. like a romantic relationship, whether it's needing to like redraw boundaries in a friendship or a family relationship. Mm -hmm. I think we wrestle with that all the time should I stay or should I go? And like for me, dude, I probably would have, I don't know how much, there were not many hills I was willing to die on then, Mm -hmm. right? Like how much longer would I have stayed so desperately unhappy at daybreak Mm -hmm. before they booted me out, you know? And I Mm -hmm. just, I I mean, I was given a gift by being asked to leave. And a lot of people aren't given that gift. Right. So they have to be the brave ones that say. Right, right. And I think, you know, what what I would like to talk about in the uh, should I stay or should I go episode (laughs) 
Um, we can like sing the song and everything too, but <laughs> we'll intro, uh, do the intro yeah. with that. Uh, but what I would like to talk about is in that is when you're, when you're in between those two places of like, you're not sure what you should do. Sometimes it's all fear-based. Sometimes it all is. We were just talking before we started about just this imposter syndrome and, um, not thinking that you're good enough or not thinking that you're smart enough or you have the right credentials or you have the right whatever. But sometimes that's the fear, right? Yeah. Is there going to be something better on the other side? Is this the best I can ever do? Will I find another job? Will I find some, this way I hear from a lot of people, will I find another place that gives me as much money and as much flexibility as I have at this job? Yeah. And I will tell you, with 100% certainty, every time I have moved from job to job, every time I have moved from a relationship to relationship, it has been better. Yes. With the jobs, it has been, you know, the I am being, you know, compensated in the way that I should be. I have the flexibility that I need to have a positive work-life balance, you know. And so when we don't think that we deserve that, right because that's what it is when you're afraid that you're not going to get it again it's like i got this by accident oh, somehow like i lucked my way into right, this right i lucked my way into this job and so certainly no one else is going to ever be able to you know i've fooled enough people here with enough smoke <laughs> and mirrors but if i go somewhere else they're going to see oh, they're going to see shit amber i think that's it yeah because if you believed that you were deserving of it you would yeah. never doubt that you would no. get it again. No, Woo, girl. No, and you wouldn't settle. You and know, you if you wouldn't. went somewhere else and, and they offered you a job and they were like, here you go, but you're going to have to take a $30,000 a year pay cut and also you've got to be in this office 40 hours a week and, and, and punch this clock and we're going to... You'd be like, no, thank you, because my job is out there. I'm about to go get it. Right, right. Right? If that relationship you know, is ending and you're like, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't go because, oh, you know, got to date again, got to look around and, you know, I'm a train wreck of a human. So nobody's going to want this. Nobody right? wants to love me. Yeah. Right. Then you're not, that's not what you're, that's what you're going to find out there. Right. But if you have, if you know your own worth, if you know who you are as a person, then you wouldn't, you don't settle. And I think, and no, too. I mean, I'm gonna have to think on that for like the next week or two. I see some, <laughs> I see some journaling in my future because I do think that the fear stems from the unworthiness. Mm -hmm. Because if you felt worthy, you would not be afraid. Like when I go to Taco Bell, and let's say it's closed, I don't melt to the ground thinking that there's not another Taco Bell that's open. I might have to drive a little further. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know what I mean? I might be like, oh, damn, you know, I lost seven minutes. But, like, it never occurs to me that I'm not going to get my cheesy right. gordita crunch. And that they closed that Taco Bell because they knew you were coming. <laughs> you know, right. like, shut it down. Jill doesn't deserve a taco. I don't take taco. the closure personally. Um, yeah, shoot. Well, that's a lot to think about. But what I do, the caveat I want to give is that I think even if you don't believe you are worthy the universe will prove to you over time that you are. Yes. Because certainly when I left Daybreak and when I've been broken up with, I have thought I will never find something mm -hmm. like this again. Yeah. Again, I, fool, I bamboozled these people into thinking, you know, that I was worth getting what I was getting and certainly no one else will fall for that charade again. 
Um, so I don't think, and in, in many times that I'm thinking of, I had that confidence or that mm-hmm. worthiness, but it was hard and it was ugly and it was a lot of crying and it took time, but the universe showed me again and again, you are worthy and you will get yeah. what is coming to you. Mm-hmm. But perhaps to your point, I could have saved some of that heartache had I believed mm-hmm. that something just as good, but likely better mm-hmm. was out there for me. Yeah. And Woo! I just, I just had a, I had that conversation with one of my clients recently over the last few, I don't remember, it was over the last few weeks because they were talking about that worthiness. They were talking about like, you know, can I have this again? Um, or should I, should I ask for this? Like, am I good enough to ask for this right. in the first place? What if somebody tells me no? Mm-hmm. And I said, there is nothing you can do to make yourself unworthy. Yeah. You came into this life worthy, you know, mm-hmm. and there is nothing you can do to take that away no. except to believe that you're not worthy and not go get what's yours. Yes. And just leave it all on the table. Mm-hmm. No one's going to take it, but you might not grab it. Yeah. Whew. Yep. Dang. Man, if only Jill of 2019 could have heard you. <laughs> <laughs> But I, she you probably know, still would have cried for for ninety days oh, straight. <laughs> and, but that's the other thing too. It's like we still we still have to grieve, right? Yeah. Like we're still going to grieve losses, and yeah. that doesn't you know that doesn't speak to our worthiness or unworthiness. That speaks to like a loss, and you have to feel those feelings. And also, it's a nice way to sometimes to have things unearthed in you that you didn't realize we're kind of holding you back, right? As you're grieving, things are coming up for you. I recently just had like a, like I, I cried for like three days straight and I couldn't figure it out. I really, I was like, this is it. This is when, you know, my brain is broken and I'm just going to be. <laughs> I've lost it. I've you lost know, it. It's over now. It's <laughs> over. This was, it was a good ride. Um, but it really had to do with um, it unworthiness, but rejection mm. in general. And I tell you, like, there was one incident that happened, and it was so minor. It was so minor. So minor. (laughs) And it, I was like, I started crying, and I just couldn't fucking stop. And then I would stop, and I'm like, don't anybody talk to me because I will cry again. And it was like all of the rejection I had felt my whole life was coming up and Uh. out of me. And when I was done, I was done. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't, none of that had anything to do with me. That's the thing. When, you know, at the end of it, my realization was rejection doesn't have anything to do with me and my worth. It has to do with the other person Mm -hmm. and their preferences. And that's okay. And that's okay. But it never spoke to who I was. Right, right. But it took that final minor thing Right. That was like that little, like that tipping point yes. for you to be able to purge a lifetime of that feeling. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And just seeing all of those times in my life where I felt rejected. I mean, like little, like back to being a little kid mm-hmm. type of stuff. Yeah. And realizing like that didn't have anything to do with you. That had nothing to do with you. And then I looked at all the times where I, probably other people felt rejected by me and I'm like, 
that didn't have anything to do with them. Right. It only had to do with me. Right. Yes. And it, I was, it wasn't personal. I wasn't trying no. to hurt that person. I didn't. Yeah. yeah. But I think, you know, and that's where I think sometimes like we have to, to be grateful for those little hiccups that the universe, mm-hmm. you know, throws in our path because they are typically for a purpose. Right. right? And, and you and, you know, the universe knew like Amber is ready to let this go. Yep. So let me give this, you know, let me let the stars align so that she is like perfectly vulnerable that this little thing that right. would have never messed with her before. Right. You know, will get her to a place where she can, you know, let go of yeah. that. And I do. And I, you know, and I've gotten better at being grateful um, for the AFCOs. Another podcast I listen to, they talk about AFCOs, another fucking growth opportunity. Mm-hmm. I love it. I mean, I don't love an AFCO. And I talk about it a lot with my um, my supervisees too, the social workers that are working towards their independent. But, you know, you do have to learn. Sometimes you got to laugh a little bit. Like, dude, I wasn't really in the mood for an AFCO at the moment. But <laughs> you do, you have, to be, you have to be grateful for them because sometimes, you know, a habit that you had forever that that you think is serving you, but maybe low key deep down, you know, it's not really serving you, but it's mm-hmm. never really caused you to lose something you care about. But then one day it does. Then one day, it, you know, it takes something from you that you really wanted or a relationship that you really valued. You know, that's like the universe's way of saying like, OK, purge the whole thing. Yeah. Take the whole thing out, mm-hmm. you know, and um. And yeah, so sometimes you do. You just gotta cry for a couple of days. And, yeah, and keep, yeah. And, and I let think go be- of a lifetime of shit. Right. And I think the beauty of it is, is that when you do your own work, when you're willing to look at those feelings when they come up, you can do that purge. Mm-hmm. Right. Amber five years ago would have had that happen, would have felt rejected, would have been pissed, and then would have stuffed that shit back down. Yes. And I wouldn't allowed for that three days of crying. Or during those three days, I would just been resentful. Yes. Or, just, yeah, just in a shame spiral till right. finally something snapped you out of it. Right. And I think that goes back, at least for me, to what we were talking about in the last episode, too, of just that being awake and being aware. Mm-hmm. Asking yourself, like, why did this little thing set me off? Mm. Because, yeah, you can just be like, fuck this person, fuck that person, this is a stupid situation, they don't understand, right. nobody gets it, why is this my life, why does this always happen to me? Or you can say like, whoa, like let me on, let me be brave enough to be present in this moment with myself mm-hmm. to say what is really going on here. Right. And then that's when you have the opportunity to drop some baggage, right? Mm-hmm. What do I always say? Everybody always, everybody's got baggage. We've all right. got baggage. And we're. Not, I don't think, I mean, maybe there's some like – brilliant people out here that don't have any baggage I don't know but we do the universe gives us opportunities to like Mm -hmm. drop some of that heavy shit we've been carrying yeah and and are we going to take them right are we going to be brave enough to take them and I think now that I've gotten better at being aware it's like I know I like see you know you ever like side eye your life a little bit like Mm -hmm. damn it like oh (laughs) This is an opportunity, right? right. But but then you, but then you're like, I don't want to do it yes. right now. I don't. You're like looking at it, and you're like, Come on, like <laughs> I'm getting I so just, whiny. I just grew last Come month. Come on, I don't want to do it. And the universe is like, Here's your opportunity. You know, take it. And there have been times where I'm like, I see your opportunity. And I'm going to say, no, thank you. Right? I see your opportunity, <laughs> and I'm waiting for my tower to and come. And I just would rather <laughs> let my whole life burn down to the ground instead. Later. I do think 
And, and and maybe that's the goal, right? Is to get to get braver that you don't pass up the opportunities yeah. as often. Yeah. Yeah. And giving yourself grace, right? Because there are times where you are, you're going to pat, you didn't see the opportunity. You, you know, you weren't living in your, you know, in your authentic self that day. Mm. Sometimes um, you miss it. Yeah. And then you're like, damn, I missed it. But no, I'm talking about the times when you like know it. When you know and you just <laughs> actively reject it. <laughs> <laughs> Amber's like, I don't do that, Jill, because I'm like oh, no, I a do grounded, it. thoughtful person. I, I do it. I oh, do it. Man. I do it on the regular. But I'm better at it now. I I am better, definitely. And I I feel, I don't know, like there's almost like a, a, a braver, like when you actually do it, you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, I did you, that. You feel like a badass, right? Yeah, you're like, like mm, I, I did it. I knew it and I did it. <laughs> I knew right. it and I did it. And I only waited two days instead of two weeks right. to do it. Right, yeah. or, or two years, right, in some right. cases. But yeah, no, and I think I think that's the... The goal is just to try to get, just try to shorten that time mm-hmm. between the knowing and the doing. Right, right. And I think, you know, as we've, as we've moved forward with Third Wheel, there was at the beginning, there was like a lot of, um, like we knew what we wanted to do, but like we weren't getting there as quickly as we do now. It took a long time for yeah. those first couple. Dude, we didn't make money for years. Yeah. <laughs> Forever. No. No, um, and we had a lot of good ideas, but I think that we, you know, we weren't always looking for the opportunities that, you know, looking back, I'm like, there were there were times where we probably could have pushed a little harder, where we probably could have um, marketed a little bit differently. And we didn't because like you talked about, like that fear of like, well, I need to, you know, kind of keep this under wraps. Like I can't be too bold about the fact that I have this business. So I got to be careful about like who I talk to about it or how it goes out on social media and stuff like that. And as we become more confident as business owners and in our roles, um, with third wheel, things just, you know, are picking up. They do. And I think it's, you know, it's down and, and I say this a lot to people too. And, and I think about it myself and at work and in relationships that you, you know, if you ever find yourself in a place where people don't want you to shine as bright as you are, yep. that's a huge, that's a knowing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's a knowing, you know, and I've been in relationships like that where like, where I am, I am shining my brightest and I'm my best self. I can tell that's making my partner nervous and that's how it I mean I think that's how it was at daybreak Mm -hmm. you know don't be too special don't stand out too much don't you know we don't you're not the one that should be making these relationships outside of the agency that should be somebody else and I think you know and honestly you know throughout the last five years I think you and I have navigated being you know at places and in relationships where we never wanted to shine too bright oh and then now we're in a space where we're like, fuck it, like, on we shine, you know? But I think, you know, I I see a lot of people that are not, particularly at work, but Mm -hmm. some, you know, sometimes the other, but that they're just not allowed to, like, be their rock star selves. And I Mm -hmm. hope, you know, as a boss, and maybe that would be a good topic too, I hope that I always create an environment where people can really shine Mm -hmm. and really be who they are. Yeah. And I don't let my insecurity you know what I mean or my shit get in the way of letting people shine Mm -hmm. because if somebody's not letting you shine it's because of them it's not because of you and I think yeah when you are a leader or when you are a partner when you have kids you know whatever like 
let me never be the one that doesn't let somebody shine because right. I'm too scared. You right. know? Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, and it does, and it has to do with fear. And sometimes we don't let people shine out of fear. Almost like, like we're not, we're not trying to do something that is, um, malicious to them. It's not even like, I don't want you to shine brighter than me because then I will look less than. It's like, I am, a, I am so afraid that if you do this thing, this is going to happen. I'm afraid if you shine too bright, someone else will hurt you. Yes. Or something else will happen. Something will happen, it's, it's yeah. like, There's like almost that like paternalistic kind of fear. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And, yep. um, you know, we have to get out of that because here's the deal. Like, I don't care if they're your children. I don't care if they're your family. I don't care if they're your coworkers, your friends. They all came to the world the same way you did with a soul that was ready to go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, yeah, people need guidance, and we need to be here with each other on our journeys. But we need to walk with each other on those journeys, not like, I need to drag you over here on my path. No, you've got your path. Our paths may run parallel. We may cross. But you've got your path, and I've got mine. And I have to honor and respect that. Yes. And, you know, and that's something, like, as I've gotten older, gosh, like, you know, 18 or 17-year-old Amber with a baby. Like, I wish I would have known that then. <laughs> yeah. There's a, Well, yeah, like, you don't need me to clear your path. You don't need me to right. walk on your path. You don't right. need me to trim back the trees on your path. You don't yep. need me to move that stick out of the way on your... It's your fucking path, right? Yep. And, and I just need to cheerlead for like, hey, over there on your path. Good work. Killing Woo! it. What? Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything I can do to help? I'm not going to do it unless you say so. But right. yeah. No, that's so true. So true. Whew. And now we're here on our path. <laughs> here now we are. we're here on our path. Just pathing along over here. Um... But no, I think I think we, that was good. I think we hit our tower moments, a couple of them pretty hard. And I'm hoping that it resonated for some people. Right. Um, you know, I hope I hope overall, yeah, this podcast is resonating for people. It, it was cool to hear after the first one. We got a little feedback, mm-hmm. which was nice. So if you made it to the set, if you like the first one enough to make it to this one, um, we'd love to hear, yeah, your feedback and your thoughts. Um any I, I topic ideas mm-hmm. or anything like that. Absolutely. And we'll, I guess it'll be a surprise what comes next. We yeah. are planning to release these about every other week if you guys mm-hmm. are curious about just like cadence and frequency. Um, so that's what we're looking at for right now. Thank you for listening to another episode of Guided by Third Wheel, the podcast. We would be honored if you would like, rate, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, be well.